Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Hey friends, I'm so excited you're here. My guest today is a friend of almost 10 years. He's one of the hardest working and most intelligent people I know. His work and research surrounding men's health was one of the inspirations for beginning this podcast. So please welcome Mr. Cody Raganisi. We begin our long-standing catch-up by reflecting on all we have learned about ourselves during this pandemic and how to efficiently use the coveted me time. Cody shares his journey from college to the Peace Corps to grad school and the professional world, shifting the lens on masculinity and gender norms, and ultimately creating a safe and productive environment in which we all can work together. I hope this episode proves that true friendship and connection takes time and a willingness to be vulnerable. And although we've known each other for so long, every time we talk, it's like the first day we met. We realize we've both built a life of breaking boundaries as we arrive closer to answering an age-old question, what makes a man? Enjoy. I'm already crying. How am I already crying? I, you know, cheers are here as well. Hey, <laughs> it's so good to see you, man. Well, you chose the shirt you chose. Excellent, man. Yeah, thank you. Really thank filling you. that out. You, you too as well. <laughs> Particularly. Just a, a wonderful glimpse into our friendship that the first thing we do is compliment each other's shirts. You know, and... And smile. As, <laughs> you, got, you, you got a you got a rock and smile. Right you you sir, I feel like my face is gonna hurt by the end of this. I've missed you so much, man. Thank you. First of all, just thank you for doing this, but also like it's been way too long and we need to catch up. Yeah. You know we we create connections with everybody we meet. I feel like that is our <laughs> gift. But with you and me specifically, with us, it's like it truly is one of those things where we could go a year without talking and then. Not only is it great to see you, but just, like, the replenishing that happens. Like, I didn't even know I was in a deficit, and, yeah, and like, yeah. I talked to you, and I'm like, holy shit, like, I haven't felt yeah. like this, and, you know, so, I just, like, you're so special to me, you already know that, but I just wanted you to I know that again. That. It's, uh, it's mutual. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it today, it was 2021, we met in, in 2010, <laughs> I mean, not quite 11 years, but damn well close. <laughs> Oh my god. You know, I think for for your mom who's listening, uh, and, and you know, the the few others the the thing about this relationship is we only knew each other for four months. <laughs> let me let me remind you that you I won't use the word bailed, but you transferred schools, you bailed on me personally, but then really kept it up with our relationship. So that much I'll give you credit for. But you left American the spring semester of freshman year, and we only knew each other in the fall. Yeah. Fast forward 11 years, and we're right here. Talking (laughs) like we lived together for the past decade. Dude, I mean... But but I think that has a lot to do, like you were saying, it's like, the 
those relationships, I only have a few in my life. I don't know about you, but like able to go through those ebbs and flows and not in a bad way, but just say, listen, I know he's good. I wish I could be there, but maybe I got other stuff going on. But when we reconnect, we're here. Yeah. And we're and we're together 100 percent. Yeah. So that's that's what I love. I don't have that really at all but but with you so wow man certainly there it's incredibly valuable and i think like yeah i think who knows how but i think we were just we were just so open to that connection to begin with and i think that you know we were both in a situation at american where like finally we were able to like really choose for ourselves like what it is that we wanted (laughs) and i think because of that at least for me that actually ended up finding a new path but yeah. but but in terms of our relationship i think that we were just so open to it and like yeah i i think you know the thing is is like i feel like when you're younger you know you make friendships and like any any friendship you make it's like oh we'll be friends forever you know i see you yeah. all the time you're with me all the time like we'll be together right. forever and it's hard to like understand still for me as an adult that like you make a you know, friendship with somebody and like that person has a full life, total yeah. life outside of that friendship. Yeah. It's not like you don't play and go to school yeah. together. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. And so like you helped teach me that I think because we both went and did our thing and that's right. a good thing you said like I know he's good. Like he's doing yeah. his thing and living his life and when we catch up like we're so present and like that's what it's all about, man. Cuz like yeah. yeah, in a perfect world we'd see each other every day, but how many things would we not be able to do to try to make that happen like it would be impossible that's absolutely right that's absolutely yeah it's it's great though so so let's recap i'm so interested so you're living in a house in dc right back where it all started which i absolutely love i absolutely Uh, love it yeah i'm uh yeah so i'm living in dc with two other people now in a house it's my my bunker down here where i work every day yeah i mean all good on the work front. I actually just got promoted yesterday. Wow! Yeah, I can't wait to get into uh, all that. And uh, you know, on the on the social front, I mean, COVID. But you know, <laughs> keep, keep it up with what I can. I mean, I think I feel like it was a great opportunity, especially in the beginning, almost too much to like reconnect with those who you know you've sort of distanced yourself from in in you know involuntarily kind of thing. Yeah. Just uh, inadvertent distancing over the years, and COVID was like, oh yeah, I got time, let's chat. That's obviously waned off after the first month of like. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh yeah, I remember why I didn't talk to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but even like last April, I was like, yeah, like let's get. I had like two FaceTime, Zoom calls at night, just catching up with random folks. I was like, this is unsustainable. I cannot go. This is draining. By May, I was a hermit. But anyway, I've, I've equalized that. I've, I do a little bit of both now. Yes, yes. I'm the same way. I'm like, yes, perfect. An excuse not to see people. Yeah. I can just lay on the couch and feel great. Yeah. And yeah, that didn't last too long. I started to question. I'm like, what am I? What is my yeah. purpose in life? You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been a great reflecting period. I, I am a bit jealous of people who lived alone during this time. I mean, I feel like in terms of navigating a new space, you know, for the most part, we're three in this house. And one uh, housemate joined, I guess, February or late, late January. So they new relationship to build and sort of just navigating the beginning 
beginning of everything. In the time where we don't have simple pleasures of being able to have our own space or friends over or go to the shops when we want to, that kind of stuff, I mean, I feel like it, it certainly sort of sped up a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. That, that must be challenging for sure. I think also, like, because you need your alone time, too. You know, I never did. Okay. And that was something that I've learned over the past, I don't know, six years for me. And I didn't in university. I remember going, I don't think I ate a single meal without somebody by my side. Okay. TDR, I always had somebody to eat with. Interesting. Now, if I eat with somebody, we got to turn on some music because you're chewing too loud. I mean, it is like, but it's like, it, it, you know, after after college, I went to the Peace Corps and, you know, I was staying with a host family for three years. But at the same time, you know, I was in, I had a little, you know, rendezvous, like a circular sort of concrete hut that I was staying in. And that, that was me. I was the only American in the community. I was, you know, had some friends around, sure, Swazis, but... But the point is, like, those nights and those days of doing nothing really social, and I really got to learn about myself. Great training for COVID. (laughs) Quarantine was like, oh, I know where I am. I'm back. I'm back. (laughs) So, So I have gotten really good at sort of being with myself and knowing sort of when I need my me time versus when I need people time yeah right? yeah yeah that's so interesting that's balance. yeah it truly is i i've definitely noticed about myself that i am more of a dependent person i think like mm-hmm. which doesn't which is like sort of confusing in a way because like it seems like maybe you are or were or sort of are balancing that but you're mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from like your individuality and like your leadership right. quality like i feel like you're very much a leader but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm very much the same. I realize I need to be around people. I need to be with people sometimes to the point where like, I'd rather just other people make decisions and I'll just sort of follow along in some ways. But it's, I mean, listen, leaders, leaders gotta have people to, to be there. You know, to lead. Yeah. If you're, if you're a leader of one, that's a pretty easy job and, and you're not doing a great job at it. Let me say that much. So, you know, I think you're exactly right. It's like, you know, there's a time and a place to be with yourself and your own thoughts. If that doesn't happen, that's also, you know, a shortfall. Yeah. I mean, I, I look and I, I feel like over COVID, everything just has been a bit magnified. Right. So like I, I've been sort of thinking around, so I'm not in a relationship currently, but you know, I've been looking around at friends and people that I know who sort of have jumped from one to another. I, I don't know if this term is, is real, but like serial monogamy, basically, right? <laughs> of like, you know, one to one to one to one. And it's like, where is that time for you? And is that sort of scary? And, and then why? Because mm-hmm. that's also a, a challenge. But like, I think on the flip side, some of us who have been single for so long are thinking the opposite of like, okay, why do I like my me time so much? And why... <laughs> What is holding me back from having an us time? Wow, yes. I don't know, that's that's been a thought of mine. That is such an interesting thought, for sure. Because for me, it's like, I have a problem with the quiet. You know what I mean? Because, like, when it's quiet, my my thoughts take control. And, like, my thoughts, I've realized, do almost no good for me. Like, if I have a creative thought or, like, a thought that... 
I could sort of act upon to pursue that would eventually bring me joy, like that comes quick. Like that's quick. I'll jot it down. Boom. My thoughts 95% of the time (laughs) are like, your life is meaningless. You know what I mean? Like, like, so it's the thoughts you don't need. Yeah. 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 So, so the quiet, you know, brings that. So, and then with that, it's like, oh, well, I got to be doing something. I got to be doing something. Yeah. And so, of yeah. course, when you're not a lo- you're not able to do something and, and things are opening back up and everything. But like this time, really, like you said, just magnified that. Yeah. But it's so interesting to hear you say from the other perspective, it's like, OK, well, maybe I'm getting too good at being alone with myself. And so maybe yeah. just a question that I had is like, you know. What do you have to give or what do you have to shift or change, I guess, to make room for that? Because ultimately, it's not that you're incapable of having somebody in your life. It's it's more that just like the puzzle pieces need to move around, I guess. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about like, OK, what's the defining characteristic of an extrovert? Right. Because like I would always have always like really considered myself an extrovert. And they were like, oh, well, do you like crowds? <laughs> Far from it. I don't think I've ever liked a crowd in my life. But I think the, the point that I raised was like, do people give you energy or take energy from you, right? And like, for me, at least, I don't know if that if I got that from somewhere. I doubt it's my own original thought. But like, the, the point is like, I would still consider myself very much extroverted in that talking to you I'm getting energy it is not taking energy from me to have this conversation right and so I think it's all about who you surround yourself with right so it's for me I think it's been that like I just haven't necessarily found that person that will continually give me energy in that personal intimate space right Right. and so if obviously relationships are going to take work I'm not talking about that, right? That That is energy well worth it. Right. But sort of this, like, daily monotonous activity and interaction, like, if that's exhausting for you, well, I guess you're an introvert. But, like, that—that that, that is a sign for me that, like, mm, we might not be a right match, right? right? And so to answer your question, I honestly don't know if it's, like, I would need to give something up. Because I think there is time in the day. I don't need eight hours alone, right? <laughs> I maybe need one. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with eight. But yeah. like, the idea is you can condense and af- be effective with your me time if you don't have a lot. I mean, you think about parents, right? Yeah. They don't have a chance to have me time usually. But the half hour that they're in the shower, they take full advantage of it because no one can bug them, right? Yes. And so I think it's all about like a mindset of, if you have ample, you're going to sort of waste some of it anyway. But if you have a little bit of it, you're going to take advantage of every single second. That is so real, man. Yeah, that is so real. I mean, that's been my biggest struggle for this past year, most definitely, because all of a sudden, I just have all this time and not a lot of opportunity in terms of like, I guess, career and stuff like that. So it's like, shit like I never gave it this much thought in terms of like what do I want to do with my day and like I'm just really just recently trying to start some sort of morning routine where like I've realized like if I can name a couple things and they can be the simplest of things but just a couple things that have to happen before anything else in my day then like that is literally physically setting up 
a structure of accomplishment in my day. I've already done stuff. Like I can I can feel accomplished and like I had no understanding of what that even yeah. means, especially for my like to create it for myself. Like Right, right. So you're so I right, mean, yeah. I'm the king of to do lists. Yeah. And even the what I call the post mortem to do list of writing something you've already done just to check it off. Listen, I'm not above that. <laughs> Anything to get you to know that you are being, quote unquote, productive in whatever way that you feel that is, do it. I mean, I go on an hour long walk in the evenings for, I mean, I'm fit, but like, it's not for that. Right. Right. It's to get out of the house, to see something new, to look at the flowers, to like, you know, people watch, judge people not wearing masks and shit. You know, it's like. You gotta find a purpose for activity. Get you out of the house to. one day, one time a day. Yep. I don't care if you go downstairs and open the door and come back up, but like, you know, you just gotta make that move. Yep. Right? Yep. That's that. Do that is what it's all about. Like I said, all these like toxic thoughts that I have, like getting rid of them and turning them into actions, like yep. doing, like, right. l- like I'm I'm trying to like when I start to have these thoughts you know, of doubt and whatever, I say, fuck that. And I just like go and actually do something. And and I've been taking a lot of walks as well. Just loving where we're living in, in New York City right now. So it's like, it lends itself well to walks. And like, That's awesome. you're so right, man. And, and, and it's just like, it's so funny because, you know, so many people like influential people, I'll say motivating people or whatever, will talk yeah. about this kind of shit. And I'll be like, yeah, 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 I get that. But then I don't fucking do anything yeah. to like, yeah. and I realize like, oh, wow. All I have to do is make a freaking list and check it yeah. off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and exactly. instantly I'll feel better. Yeah. I think there hasn't been sort of, well, I wouldn't consider myself sort of a creative type. Like, you know, you're extremely creative and, and artistic in many different ways. And I feel like that's an interesting thing. I have not tapped into or tried, but I, I know I can't draw. So there's that. But like, the point is, I feel like that would be sort of almost... Well, a blessing and a curse in a way, right? Because, like, there's no end point mm-hmm. to, to creativity. And so, like, okay, you can take an hour, but, like, was that a productive hour? I mean, I, I think for me, a lot of my things have clear start and end. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering from you, like, what sort of strategy have you built, if any, to, like, sort of capsulate those tasks totally like the free time dude i mean you hit the nail on the head like that is the struggle especially this past year when there's a lot like usually you know you have plenty of auditions to go to that even if you're not getting the job you at least have the next audition so it's keeping you busy but i think literally like i've had to create my own goals and i've had to say to myself you know let me remember why I got into this in the first place, you know, find my why, you know, what kind of stories am I trying to tell? I want to connect human beings. I want them to feel something, you know, that they're maybe not used to feeling and that asks questions and that, you know, ultimately makes a change. And so how can I put myself in a situation to do that? And it's, it's been life changing for me, honestly, because everything up until this point, I've always thought, how can I mold myself to be what I believe to be the best suitable sort of fit for somebody on the other side of the table that's going to eventually give me the job. And although it is a little bit of that, because ultimately somebody else is going to decide if you're right for the project, it's more about who 
are you? What do you like to do? Who, like, literally in this world, who are you? And what is valuable to you? And why are you here? And bring all of that into the room. And then it's not about, like, talent anymore. It's not about, like, who's better or worse. Like, there's such an idea. And I'm sure, like, even in your profession or just, like, in your world as well, like, this idea of comparison and competition. And that automatically sets up a a scale of value and that I'm going to try to be better than you. You know what I mean? And like all of that, I totally lost my way and it it only became about what do I think they're thinking and how do I try to do what they want me to do? And, and, and that goes back to my idea of like realizing I'm more of a dependent person and having to claim that individuality a little bit and literally be specific with my goals and say, what do I want? And create a schedule for myself where I am pursuing that larger goal. And then to me, at least, it becomes less about the end result and more about the process to get there and how along the way, I'm being more and more clear with my intention. I'm practicing more. So inevitably I'm getting better and, you know, ultimately getting to know myself more, which is really the only important task that I've assigned myself now because I've been so far away from it. I mean, let me, let me posit something here. This journey did not start with COVID for you. What you just described. No, I'm serious. What you just described happened in 2010. Do you get it? Yes. It's like, it is not, and and I think this is the thing we as humans don't really recognize in the moment, is when these things are happening and we don't even know, what you just described about finding yourself, setting goals, getting a process to get there, I mean, you must have filled out some paperwork to transfer, right? (laughs) Like, these were things that you said, listen, this is what I, this is who I am and this is what I want to do. Yeah. And this is, this is how I achieved that goal, right? So, like, it's building on that success and every single day finding a little bit more out about yourself and what you want. Because it's not going to happen immediately. Started more than 10 years ago for you and you finally made some action. Yeah. And that's awesome. Dude, you're awesome. Thank you for saying that. It's It's so great to have your perspective because I have had to do a lot of reflection and realize that, like, that yeah that chris that was you know back then and and made that choice like it was so grounded in belief and like faith in myself that like i was doing the right thing like it felt purposeful and since then i sort of wavered from that concrete decision that i made and now you're right like it's coming back full circle and i'm returning to that thought process i was so fucking confident man like nobody could tell me there was no no like nobody could tell me and like it's that being finding that confidence in the path you know and and being less concerned about oh gotta get gotta have this show on my resume gotta make sure you know because it's not about that shit like it's it's really just I was so confident in my worth and my purpose right. and and for whatever reason I let other stupid voices get in my head. But it's simple. I, I mean, good thing they did. Right, right, I'll right. Say that. I mean, but that's the other thing. Sometimes you believe in something that does doesn't end up being true. Woo! And that's also fine. Imagine that, right? But it's like you gotta make those mistakes to learn from them. If you're always making the right moves, it's really not an exciting life. Yeah. 
Plus, yep. you don't get to meet people like uh, like us. Because, <laughs> like yeah, you're really you missing out. Stay, you meet people like <laughs> it's a special club. <laughs> Oh, man. But, I mean, that's something I admire about you is that you've always seemed to have such clear intentions in where you at least wanted to be or, I guess, or or what you wanted to achieve, even though the path has sort of changed along the way. But, like... Yeah. You know, as I get older, I'm like, I'm losing that. And it, (laughs) it, it sort of... I mean, all right. I'm still on a path, right? Like, right, right. I'm still here. But the point is, like, you're, you're exactly right. I entered undergrad knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I had a 20-year path, and damn well I'm still on it. Wow. But the point is, at this at this time, right? So I did, I did undergrad. I went to Peace Corps. That was all in the plan. I came back and did grad school. That was all in the plan. And then I got my first real big boy job. That was in the plan. And now I'm sitting here. My mom actually asked me the other day in the car, so what's next? I was like, fuck if I know. I mean, it's like, but I think there's something beautiful about just like, well, if I if I was unhappy here, I would be forced to know what's next. But that's the thing. I'm happy. Wow. Why, why do I need to plan something? It'll come. I just might not know exactly what it is. Wow. Right? And, I mean, there are a decent amount of thoughts going through my head right now of, like, all right, what am I interested in? You know, I'm hurtling these two fields of, like, masculinities and men's health on one hand and international development on the other. And I'm, like, trying to do a little bit of both. Majority of my day job, uh, I'll, I'll say that louder for those who pay me, but the point is, like, at the end of the day, what is success to me? And I think, like, for me as a cisgender white male... For those who can't see, I'm very basic looking, probably look a lot like Chris. Um, the, the point is, like, what is success in the international development lens or in the gender equality lens? It's not me being a CEO, I can tell you that much. It's not <laughs> yep. me being a country director of an African country that I love. No, right. it's not that. It's So I think over the past couple years, I've been starting to think, like, from the lens of who I identify as, what is success? Not only for myself, but what would other people deem as successful? And with that, you got to get a little bit of a grain of salt and like not sure. care too much about that, right? But it's like, you know, I need to be sort of the uplifter and the amplifier. And if that means that I am steady Eddie in my role right now, but trying to get other people above me, hey, that's success. Wow. And that might be my next step. But it's, I think originally it was like, obviously linear to the top. Once I've made it there, then I can retire. And that's sort of been blown out of the water recently. Wow. So I think it's a little bit of a discovery as well. Wow. But it's, it's still, still here. I'm still, still kicking. Dude, you are such a beautiful man like what an inspiration just the the thoughts that you have like and your intention in the world like it's it's beautiful man I mean I was just thinking that today I was like I think there's a part of me that somewhere along the way like believes that I have to struggle and so like I'll create the struggle for myself even if it's not real real, you know (laughs) that's absolutely real you gotta you gotta yeah like it's a it's a that is a weakness, man. You gotta work through that because, listen, 
if something is given to you, I mean, you know, legally probably, you, I mean, you gotta take it, but fine. If you, if you don't feel worthy of that opportunity, it is on you to provide someone else with that same opportunity then. Yes. Right? Yes. And that can be your success. That can be your next step. But, you know, you can't sort of be like, oh, well, I need to, I need to lose all of these, you know, jobs or not get these auditions just because you can't feel that guilt. No, totally, totally. And like there, there's an element of like this idea of being content, like has always sort of scared me because in my mind, it means you're settling or like you're not pushing yourself to strive for more because you're just content. You're fine. But I I think like in the moment, if you can look around and, you know, notice the life that you have and how lucky you are to have it, it's okay to be content for a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, listen, here's another way to think of it also. Content on the big picture allows for time and energy to be put in the small pictures. And that's when, okay, I'm content with my job. Fine. Let's put that in a box over there for a minute. Not longer than a minute, but just a minute. And then let's care about my relationships with yeah. my family or, you know, romantic relationships or what, what have you. And then, okay, once I'm content with that, then we can go back to the box with the work. And then, okay, I'm looking to, you know, move out of this place and buy a house. All right, let's pay attention to that box for a bit. So right. I think it's like we do need to look at the big picture sometimes but also segmenting it into different fractions of our lives. Because if you're only concentrated on that professional path, there's a whole bunch of paths that you're not taking Yeah, and might miss out on. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, I think we require too much of ourselves sometimes where we have to be fully attentive to all those yeah. different segments at once. And it's impossible, I think. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. And, and, and like something's going to suffer for sure. And yeah. that is literally, you know, to sort of, I guess, maybe cap all of this is like, that's the, that's the greatest lesson of all this is like, it's important not only to define your priorities, but also recognize that like, we're not fucking machines here, you know, like something's got to give, we got to, we got to, you know, piece out our time to different things if we want to grow. And like, also this short life, like, let's say this is all we get. I really think we got to like build up our community, which is like, I had no concept of that as a, as a kid, you know? No, I think you're absolutely right. And that competition can destroy or build. I mean, I, I think especially in your field, it's like mine, maybe far less, but like I sort of look at the, the arts community and, and that sort of like bucket of work as like very cohesive and very much having that sense of community, Mm. but then deeply competitive at times. But like, you guys all have each other's back. Mm. At least from the outside, that's what it looks like. And I think a lot of people are envious of that because it is that sort of, oh, I'm going to take you because we worked together in that last project and I'm going to take you on this journey with me. And I think a lot of other fields, there is this extreme fear that that person that you're bringing along is going to outshine you and you're going to be forgotten. Right. And I'm sure that exists in, in reality for you guys. But sure, like, yeah. the idea that it is worth that risk because that friendship and that camaraderie is so strong. Like that, I think that's super, 
Yeah, man. I, I well, I appreciate that, and I think that is largely how it is. It's just on an individual level, it's difficult to carry through that ideology i think and like truly like just reframing the idea that you're not giving something up you know you're sharing and it's like it's saying the same thing i think but it's like the perspective is is everything so it's like like that almost to me relieves pressure because it's less about how do i climb this ladder be the best you know beat everybody else it's more of just like how how can i behave to encourage a world that I want to live in. We pardon this interruption to introduce the Southern Poverty Law Center, a nonprofit organization fighting for racial justice in the South. Founded in 1971 to ensure that the promise of the civil rights movement became a reality for all, SPLC now operates out of state offices in Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, and Mississippi. The SPLC partners with communities to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, and advance the human rights of all people. Their Learning for Justice program provides free resources to caregivers and educators working with children to create civil and inclusive school communities where everyone is respected and valued. For more information, ways to support and donate, and a full list of resources, visit their website splcenter.org or on Instagram at splcenter. I moved back in 2019, so I've been here about two years, one in this basement, uh, another out in life. The, The point is, like, it is far different of a city and an experience than what I lived in in undergrad. I think just like geography-wise, you know, AU is just in the pocket of a corner of a attic of the city, and so like you don't really get out, and mm-hmm. and that's something that I didn't quite realize to the extent that we were sheltered, mm-hmm. and like I think it was obvious at the time we were sheltered, but like the extent was very very blinding. Anyway. Being back from a social angle is a lot different, I feel like. Like, we're adults now. We can't just go to the clubs, even though I didn't before. But, like, there are just different activities. Not far less, not far more, but just different. I think the other thing that I sort of assumed when I came back was I was going to just jump right back in with people that I knew from undergrad. Because, obviously, like, people are around. That didn't happen, which is totally fine and probably best because... I came back not the same man that I left, right? And, like, for better or worse, those relationships might not have worked in this 2.0 experience that I'm having, right? You know, yeah, the previous administration, you know, that was a clusterfuck and a half, but I think it did bring D.C. together because we are a very liberal city and sort of, like, what I didn't realize when I was at AU was that DC is in and of itself a city with residents that matter and that the politics of this place, aside from what happens in the White House and the Capitol, there are local politics that affect a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, especially living where I'm living now, is like, you know, knowing neighbors and being able to talk and know the representatives that I voted for and stuff like that. It's like, now granted, not at the federal level, right? Because we don't have representation. But anyway, the, I mean, yeah, that's another story. But 
I think the well, I guess it's, it's it is all combined. Like the statehood movement really clicked for me in the past two years. I mean, I think it's like it's absolutely ridiculous that we don't have statehood. Not for the two senator, like you know, national politics aside, it's just like I pay a decent amount of taxes for no re- no representation in Congress, no voting representation, right? We have one congresswoman who doesn't have any voting power. And so it's like, how can you hold a government accountable when you don't have a voice at the table? And I mean, here's my privilege talking, but like, I had never had that experience as a white male, mm-hmm. right? And I think just the, the point of like being in this situation really sort of like grounded me a lot to say like, this is people's experience, not only in national government, but in local government, on school boards, boardrooms, you know, there are challenges that are not addressed, yeah. right? I, I'm rambling now, but no, you no. get the point. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it certainly, I think it was a wake-up call a little bit to say, like, first of all, D.C. is a city, which I always knew, but, like, there is an ecosystem of non-federal resources being spent, being earned. But, yeah, I mean, now now I can look at the White House on my walks and be like, okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Great. It's yeah. not under siege anymore. You know, I think the the Capitol riots, like, it really did shake the city to the extent that, like, you know, there was obviously National Guard everywhere and, like, a fence up for three months. And National Guard just left. Wow. Like, you know, you can't even remember what happened on January 7th, but, like, they've been here since then. Yeah. And so I think it'll take a while for for people to sort of, like, relax. We always play the game if you're wearing a red hat. Whether it's a MAGA hat or a Caps hat, because our our right. hockey our hockey team has a red red hat as well. So based on uh, some profiling, I'll say <laughs> we can know. Yeah, I guess like all this sort of came out of the idea of what it means to really like support the community that you live yeah. in. Like I yeah, I mean just getting involved locally. I think it's it's been hard if you just moved somewhere sure. over the past year, obviously. But sure. like, you know, okay, where's that local bookstore that you don't need to buy off of Amazon? Where's that coffee shop that you're not buying from the chains? Like, where are these local businesses that you're ordering food from? Because you can still do that. Like, yeah. you know, the ecosystem in which you live, you also need to support to grow, right? It's like... You're not just going to be plopped in there, and if you don't contribute, everything will be fine. Yeah. Like you yourself need to be an active member in that ecosystem for there to be growth and continuation of what exists. That right? ultimately you will benefit from as well. For sure. Yeah, I mean that's what yeah. it's all about. Like you know, I'm on this sort of like capitalist witch hunt right now, but the the idea is like we got to care about each other because at the end of the day, like that's who we got. Whether it's friends, families, neighbors, whoever, even your enemies, like, you know, that is the the heartbeat of what you have. You can have your money and your items and everything like that, but like, you know, you can't really take those memories with you. It's with the people. Yeah, it's important to remember that for sure. I think, you know, so I'm I'm really interested, you know, because I I think your job has sort of evolved ever since we last talked and stuff. So like... Maybe whatever you're willing to share, sort of take me through the journey of like, you know, maybe if you want to go back to the Peace Corps and stuff, like, I'm really interested in how like men's health, the idea of masculinity and what it means in other cultures sort of like seeped its way into your mind and then how that 
you know, sort of worked its way into being a career. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I'll bring you back to May 1st, 1992. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I think Peace Corps is a great place to start. And it's a great place to start because it sort of clicked. But it drew from a thousand other experiences, millions in my lifetime, right? And I think we've we've talked extensively about, you know, how we grew up, what it was to be a boy at the time, not to say that it was eons ago, but just like within our ecosystems, what were the prevailing ideas of what it meant to be a boy and a man and what did that mean for the behaviors that we had, right? Mm -hmm. But forget sort of that, moving into Peace Corps specifically, sort of on a program level and like what I'm hoping to continue to do, I'm not exactly doing that now, but when I got to Eswatini, which is in Southern Africa, the kingdom of Eswatini, full name, there was a girls empowerment program with, you know, adolescent girls and young women, sort of your standard gender equality, working with women and girls to, you know, empower them and a lot around health and violence prevention and stuff like that. And I started clubs in my community and like contributed to the national network of clubs that did a camp every year and stuff. This was all through the Peace Corps. Then sort of quickly, I had realized, okay, when I'm advertising this in my community, you know, people are asking, well, what about the boys? What about the boys? Where's their club? And it's like, okay, guys, you're fine. Like, you know, the girls need their time. You're fine. And that, I think, is just the general sort of immediate reaction to a lot of things around gender equality. It's like, no, no, the guys are fine. They've, they've been doing this forever. Like, they're, you know, there's privilege there. They're fine. And we're not fine. The takeaway message is boys and men are not fine. And so basically what happened after that is like, I was like, all right, well, if there's enough interest, let's start something. And what we started really did grow. And it, it ended up to be a brother-sister program to the Girls Empowerment Program, which was a great integration. We were able to sort of meet separately and together, talk about these experiences you know, about relationships, what's a healthy relationship, what's not, separately with boys and girls, and then have joint sessions to say, like, all right, you know, you had great conversations apart, but, like, let's try to make this work together. And I think excluding them, whether it was intentional or not, or, like, justified or not, really allowed them to sort of seep in this ecosystem of toxic masculinity and traditional gender norms. There was no one who refreshed them on what it meant to be a man in the 21st century because it was just what their parents and older brothers and uncles were learning in the you know 1950s is what they had been taught. Same with us, I mean, if mm -hmm. we're being honest with ourselves, totally. right? So, so we had started what we called Bro in Eswatini and we did a, a bunch of clubs around the country and then also a camp we ended, I ended up doing three camps throughout the years. And basically it was around engaging boys and men for gender equality efforts, right? Like, women and girls are vulnerable. We are the problem. Let's help this. Which I think is about 98% of all sort of male engagement programs, mm -hmm. right? 
right? Mm-hmm. We need to give up so they can gain. And over time and through sort of, then I got a bit academic and got into research, I, I had come to this conclusion that, okay, like that's one part of the puzzle, right? Like the idea of, yes, there is inequality in this world as it pertains to gender and sex. And like, generally speaking, across the board of the world, women are in a worse place than men. And to a great extent, patriarchy and masculinities may be to blame for that. Mm-hmm. But there's this other side of, of the coin where it's like men can also be the topic of conversation. Men can also have their own time with intention, right? And so what I started to do was, okay, let's look within ourselves about these masculine norms and how it affects the other men in the room. Not necessarily the women in the other room, right? We know that. We generally know that. What we don't necessarily know is the socialization of a man and that emotional burden that we all do carry. And I'm not playing the victim card here, right? right? right. Like, it's, it's not that we are victims and we need help. But at the same time, there are vulnerabilities that we ourselves can solve from the system that we our ancestors of men created. Right. Right? It's not pla- it's not placing the blame on anyone else but ourselves. But we are or can be agents of change to not only change how we interact with women and other, you know, genders, but also the way that we interact with ourselves. Mm. And sort of like that double-edged sword conclusion got me interested in sort of, okay, well, if men are the focus of this conversation what about men's health like how does masculinities impact men's health and so sort of factually I, I went from Peace Corps and went to do my, my MPH and my master's in public health and studied gender and health just generally but I did have that sort of interest around masculinities and then my uh, summer of my grad school I went to an organization called Promundo, which also generally does that first bucket of work of engaging men and boys in gender equality efforts and stuff, which, again, great work, much needed. But I sort of pose this question of like, okay, well, like, you guys are very interested in masculinity and the different forms of it. Can we do something and sort of think around men's health and how it impacts men's health? And so they gave me free reign. They said, okay, well, like, give us sort of what are your thoughts? What's an abstract of like, you know, what do we know about this topic? And that ended up being the report that I wrote. Wow. The, the knowledge out there, because there is a lot, but it's very, very individual author. Okay, we did a study of 13 boys, and here's what we found about this. We did So it was like a collation, basically, of all these data points, whether it be quantitative or qualitative, like with interviews or just surveys and stuff like that. I mean, I'll go through maybe two or three sort of higher level thesis statements if that's helpful. So like the first is basically what I've already said. It's like men can be vulnerable and like sometimes it's our power and privilege that increase our vulnerability. I mean, you look at countries in the Middle East where like men are the only people who are able to drink sometimes, right? Drink alcohol. Obviously, that has a lot of health ramifications. Now, a lot of people would say, like, well, that's their own patriarchal shit structure that allows that to happen. Absolutely true. But, like, that doesn't, the facts 
science in the health data is there that says men die prematurely at a higher rate than women, especially within the middle of their life. And what I took from that is, well, what are you doing in the middle of your life? You're living, right? You are living your life with a myriad of different behaviors that you do every day, whether it's smoking, whether it's drinking, whether it's reckless driving, whether it's just going to work, you know, occupational hazards and whatnot. So I dug into the sort of what do we do as we're living and how does that impact our health? And furthermore, how do masculine norms impact those behaviors? Wow. Yeah. So the idea is masculine norms that we all know and hate, (laughs) you know, strength, emotional control, hyper-masculinity, all of those like toxic masculine sort of tropes, that is the hegemonic form of masculinity globally. Like those characteristics, what we have called like, well, we didn't come up with the with the name, we didn't coin it, but it's called like the man box, right? You're, you're trapped within this structure that you didn't necessarily build, but people have built and put you in and... Therefore, this is how it is to act like a man. Right. And that box is very flimsy. It is very, very, very flimsy. We all have that power to just break out and be who we want to be. Yeah. And who we are. But for some reason, there's this desire as we're being socialized as kids and, and teenagers that we need, in order to be cool, we need to fit within the box. In order to be called a man or you know look great to those who we're attracted to or friends with or you know what have you we need to behave like this box mm-hmm. and so i think i don't have any sympathy for grown-ass men who are still acting a fool like mm-hmm. there is no reason for that mm-hmm. you as an individual can change but it's gonna take work it's gonna be hard yeah right yep And so, you know, it's not playing the victim card of, oh, men are stuck in a box. Like, no, no, no. It's just creating that framework for us to conceptualize what it means to be a man in today's society and and what we really need to do urgently to sort of get out of this idea and into something better. I think it's a bottleneck for a lot of things, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, you and I say we're not subscribing to these norms or behaviors right right? and as fathers we would not want our sons to follow that right right? for the first five years of their life we can control that experience what it means we can instill all of the confidence in expressing themselves as they want to be as humans right but when they go into preschool and they meet johnny Who's the fucking prick? Fucking Johnny. <laughs> but you yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the idea of like, for me to do it for myself is great but insufficient. For me to do it for my family is great but insufficient. It really needs to be sort of a community or more to really make an impact. Right. Because what's going to happen is, you know, my son who fully expresses himself fantastically is going to get made fun of and then that cycle just really starts at a young age and then he's going to feel insecure 
and want to prove himself as a man to the bullies. And I mean, yeah. I feel like you and I have been oh, that for yeah, a man. when we were younger. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> to not get too graphic, it happened, right? <laughs> but, you know, we are products of this. Yep. And, and, you know, at a certain point, we were able to sit down probably with a little alcohol and be like, this shit is, is crazy. Yeah. And, and, and why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we thinking what we're thinking? But like, there is not that space for a lot of people to do that. Yep. And if you're surrounded by a similar group of similar minded people and it's an echo chamber of, oh, you get some last night. Cool. Like, you know, all that shit. So something that I've sort of thought about recently, and I wrote an article about this, was like, okay, we know what behaviors are causing men to die early and be assholes, right? Do we know what men are doing well? And do we know how we can leverage the positive behaviors that already exist in our traditional definition of what it means to be a man? Wow. Right? This is like, this is the half step. Because the full step is exactly what you said. There's no man box. There's a human box. Right. Fuck it. There's not even a box. Right. <laughs> the idea is freedom, right? <laughs> but, the, but the half step is, okay, fine. Let's work within the system that we got because right. it's shit, but it's never going away. Right. How can we leverage the system to believe itself that being a man is X, Y, and Z because we're already doing that. Think about the, Think about some of the aspects of what it means to be a man traditionally protection providing there's a value of family there yeah that is unspoken but very pertinent right so take the misogynistic bullshit of like men need to be the higher earners just distill it down to value of family Mm. or value of brotherhood Uh value of friendship how can you leverage that because to me it's like yeah that's what it means to be a man yeah i think a lot of other people will agree with that yes so what sort of behaviors or actions can we attach to that that are not the toxic ones of earning more and beating up people who are looking at your girl weird and shit? Right. How can we have an asset-based approach to say, like, let's not concentrate on the deficits of what men are doing wrong. We know what they are. The word toxic masculinity has been everywhere for a couple years. Me too. Extremely important to call it out when it happens. Men do not know what is in front of them until you tell them what is in front of them. If you don't offer them an alternative, they're just going to say, well, I don't know what else to do. Let me just keep doing what I'm doing because that's what I know. Yeah. And so I think we need to create that alternative. And the work is being done, right? Right. There are stars that are doing great work. There are, you know, community groups that are having focus groups and programs with kids in school. The work is being done, but I do feel like we really need, like I was saying before, a whole society to sort of adopt this yeah. and a generation to adopt it instead of just one individual in one family in one school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no more like black sheep, you know, mantra. It's yes. like we all need to embody this. It needs to become the new normal. You know what I mean? Where it's, yeah. I love yeah. the, I love the, the word brotherhood because I never thought about it like that, but at its core, it, it, it is just absolutely protection and just like love. It's love. You right. know what I mean? Like it's, it's absolute love. unconditional love. And like, if you, if you could just apply that to like your relationships with everybody else in the workplace and your life and your community yeah. and stuff, then like that, that would fix it. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. 
mean, shit, if you're not being vulnerable with your significant other, you are not loving them. You are not supporting them. If you're not asking them what they need and telling them what you need, that's not doing you any favors. And so it's like those things are stereotypically non-masculine, right? Mm. The being vulnerable, the, you know, hey, honey, I need I need me time or I need you time. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's do something together. That's not stereotypically masculine. But that is very much embedded in this idea of support, love, and protection, right? It's just a different angle to look at it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I think the vulnerability aspect, it's hard. You and I have practiced for 11 years now <laughs> being increasingly vulnerable, and we're not there yet, right. you know? The, right. the idea that, like, there are still things that are, you know, I think about saying, and then I'm like, ah, no, never mind. Yeah. Like, not that I'll get made fun of, but, like, I just don't want to go there. Yeah. That's a problem, <laughs> right? Like, that's, it's not that I need to work on it today, but, like, right. that's the path. That is the, that is the end point to be, like, if you go through the day and can count the amount of times that you express that you love someone, that you need someone, that you need something, that you are happy, sad, you pick an emotion, mm-hmm. you absolutely mind-blowing though every single time i think about it it is absolutely incredible to think about the fact that some time ago somebody assigned all this value to the things that we do to gender to race and just like everybody was just cool with that for a real real hard we 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 signed up a century worth of subscriptions we forgot to hit cancel. We 
Yeah, we totally I mean, I, are. I think that's the other thing. Is like, as I think about this asset-based approach, like we also need to expand that to the way that we're thinking as well. Because the idea is like, yes, shit's fucked up. That's that's fact. Yeah. But the point is like, there are great organizations doing work. There are great teachers teaching. There are leaders, you know, political leaders leading fantastically, right? Yeah. But like. It is this sort of system approach that you start looking up and you're like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. It's not the like, well, with the exception of 45, like it's not one guy in the White House. Yeah. Although in that case, it might have been. But like, <laughs> you know, it's it's this system. I mean, yeah. So what is some of the work that you're specifically doing then at this point? Yeah. So right now, so I'm, I did that research. I like presented on that, blah, blah, blah. Now, my full-time job is is with an international development organization. It's called PACT. And we're not doing anything around men's health or masculinity. Oh, okay. So I think, okay. like, you know, I'm still a fellow with Promundo, which is great. And I do enjoy that. And, like, getting involved in little things. I'm involved in a research project around fatherhood and how teens and fathers talk about sex, dating, and relationships. Wow. I don't want to ruin too much, but they don't. No. Uh, some, <laughs> Spoiler some do, alert. Great. Yeah, some do, which is great. But, you know, it's like that is my free time, productive time oh, wow. kind of thing. Wow. But my, my day job, I mean, I do project management and operations stuff. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I have four countries that I support. So it's wow. it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm working on anything from a governance project around civil society and civic accountability to an HIV AIDS program in Eswatini and, you know, working with key populations like, you know, female sex workers and men who have sex with men in Southern Africa. So it's like, it's a lot of different topics. Yeah. And I think the idea of gender being cross-cutting has been around for a while, but I can at least sort of quench a little bit of my thirst with that because gender is in everything. Yeah. You look at a governance project, well, yeah, gender is a big part of that, right? Not only representation, but involvement and actual voice in in parliament and local leadership. Like, you know, gender and masculine norms, I mean, you, you literally can talk about anything and still relate it back to that. Yeah, that and is... I think that's, that's the beauty of... And really, the it's so easy to leverage, right? Because it is involved in everything, you can always bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can always go back to it and attack it from this angle or that angle. And I think it does make it... It's a hot topic. We just need to get the right lens on it. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the criticisms that I've leaned into has been like, all right, well, how are those structural interventions helping or hurting those things? And so, you know, the idea of advertising, Mm -hmm. like you look at camel cigarettes, you look at any sort of alcohol ad, you look at the difference between the branding of a hungry man frozen dinner and a lean cuisine family frozen dinner, you're going to see all of those gender tropes in there. That is it. And it's like, it is not just the individual, but it's also big time advertising, big time working conditions, 
all right, you can do good within a capitalist system. Sure. So they say. Sure. I haven't seen it, but the point is, like, I think theoretically there might be an opportunity. You know, alcohol is sort of harmful in a masculine way, yeah. right? But, like, there might be ways that they could also sort of change their business model to be a bit more, I don't know, giving or change the advertising so it's not so misogynistic. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah, it doesn't solve the problem. Right. Like, that. that's not, it's not a solution, but it certainly, they could be less harmful. Right, and it's kind of this, it. it's this idea that, like, you know, they've built the business and the profit off of, you know, sort of exploiting these gender norms and these yeah. traits of masculine and feminine and just like preying off of that and that's what they built their profit yeah. off of I got a question for you in middle school you ever use axe? <laughs> you say that word and instantly I smell it like you know what you I mean? smell it right? <laughs> and where are all of the women running to you? Right? Right. I thought that was like a thing right, but, right. but I think like you know silly example of that but like yeah, they had to sell that product. Yeah. And yeah, it probably wouldn't have sold as well if, like, there weren't a thousand women chasing this small, scrawny boy because he sprayed a little Spray. bit of their cologne on it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like... It's funny, though, because you don't realize... You, you can even look at a silly commercial like that, but you exactly. don't realize it's getting in there, man. Right. I mean... It wasn't Joe the camel. Didn't he look like a dick? Like, the idea of, like, having a flaccid character. He, he had a dick for a face. Like, really? <laughs> do, do, do not Google that, please. I'll be having a lawsuit on my hands. As we see this world start to heal a little bit from COVID and just like the world is coming back in a way, like my biggest concern is like, I know the growth that I have done within myself just in the last year. Yeah. How do I bring that new self into a world that I'm so afraid is going to just sort of be the way it used to be? And I'm just going to want to be the way that I used to be. And I don't ever want to be that way anymore. I mean, I think the simple answer is collectively it's up to us. Yeah. The, the, that world that, you know, that you're talking about is built out of characters, right? And so the idea is if you and me and everyone we know feel the same way you just said, we don't have anything to worry about. Wow. Because we're going to be fine. Wow. But that's not going to happen. Wow. That's not going to happen. But the... The idea is, like, think about that power that we have. Yeah. To either destroy or to build. Yeah. And and that's amazing in and of itself. I mean, I think, I think the thing that I'm really going to take away from hopefully this shortly ending experience is you got to put your energy where you're going to get it back. And if it's not in those relationships that have sort of distanced themselves naturally during COVID really sort of ask yourself well why am I returning to that mm. because at the end of the day you were fine without it mm-hmm. and so yeah you might not have like another person to see for happy hour that week but like is that what you wanted right you know so it's like prioritizing the things and not losing this sort of 
yeah, a lot of people have been depressed, like myself included, but like there has been some good moments and some and some discoveries within ourselves that I really hope we don't lose to be like, oh, that was fun, but that's in the past because COVID's done. Like, you really do need to think about what's been great about this time. Yeah. I mean, not a ton, albeit, but like, what aspects of yourself have you discovered and want to hold on to? Yeah. It's not going to be easy and it won't be sort of automatic. I do think we actually need to reflect on it a bit, but that I think it's important. And a support system that will give you that support and energy. I mean, yeah. you know, it goes back to like my thing about being an extrovert or an introvert. It's like even introverts, I assume, I don't know any, but like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even introverts do get their energy or at least support from people or reflection. Yeah. And like, no matter which it is, it's extremely valuable. Yeah. And like, you can't force a connection just because it was in the past. Right. I mean, I think we've talked about this and, and bringing it back to masculinity. It's like, if I even look at my life, I have brought two to three people with me every move. Yeah. But not more than that. Yeah. And I've had more people at that time, but I choose to say, well, okay, I want to invest myself in this next journey. And it may be natural, maybe intentional, but like, I feel like as men, we're, we're really not great about maintaining and expressing that value that we have for these friendships, right. especially with other men. Right. I mean, I know myself, I'm shit at that. And I, I have a few like yourself, but not much more than that. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I don't know, you need to dig deep in terms of your relationships and, and assess them. Yeah. It's so interesting because I feel like you and me, you know, you put us in a room of people and we're doing really well. We're making making relationships and connections and just like making people feel good and like having a great time. But, you know, over a period of time, I'm with you, man. Like I've brought almost right. no one through the years. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and yeah. not because it all blew up and like I have no friends. It's just like right. that's my choice, I guess, yeah. almost subconsciously. And, you know, for me, the trouble is the follow through of, okay, I've spent years, decades of building these very small, tight-knit friend groups, like, fucking reach out to them, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. if you're fucking feeling like shit and you're alone yeah. in your house, nobody, you know, they call, you know, I don't do <laughs> Yeah. Well, you don't want to, you don't want to be vulnerable and be like, you know, can I talk about me for five minutes? Right, right. Because I think as sort of this, like, antithesis of masculinity we don't want to boast about ourselves but in not boasting about ourselves we also don't want to show sort of that vulnerability and if I'm on the phone with you I want to ask I want to hear about you I don't want to talk about me exactly yeah I want to hear about you even if that's a low for you I still want to be there to support you it's equally as important and if you know I'm a big culprit of this but like you ask me a question Somehow, some way, that question's coming right back at me. <laughs> and I will not have a sufficient answer for that question. But I'm going to ask you the same exact thing. Right, right. And you just kind of call me out on that because that just happens naturally. Yep. But, like, it's not a intentional avoidance of being vulnerable. It's just that I don't – it needs to be practiced. It does. It does. And, and I don't have enough relationships in my life – 
that I have daily practice in that, right? And that, I think, is something you can't just go out to the street and get. Right. It takes time, right? Right. right. And it, it's not, you know, you can be vulnerable in part of your life and not in another. And there's different dimensions of that. Some people you can tell X and other people you would tell Y. Again, it goes back to that ecosystem of holistically big picture. You can get everything off your chest, whether that's to 50 different, not 55 different people or to one person. That's still extremely important. Yeah. Well, and this is interesting, too, that I've been thinking about as well, especially in having a life partner. You know, there's this assumption that I made. You find that person that is able to give you everything you need. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa, you know, and a lot of points of contention and, and conflict come when you realize that, oh, maybe this person can't give me this specific thing, but they can give me 17 other things yeah. that I really need. And then the the self-destruction of like, well, I'm even as a man, like I'm a man, I'm supposed to be able to do all these things. Yeah. I can do so many things well, but there's a couple of things I can't do well. And yeah. so for those things, I'm a piece of shit. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah, Like, don't put you on a basketball court. No. <laughs> I think, myself included, a lot of people get overwhelmed with that. Yep. And it's like, there are stages of vulnerability, mm. in my mind at least. Mm. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell you my deepest, darkest thoughts, but I'll tell you everything close to that. Right. And that's okay. Like, I don't think there is that absolute vulnerability. Like, that's not a thing, right? Like, there's not at some point in my life where I'm going to be, like, super vulnerable. Because at that point, you are an open book. But that, there's a difference between being an open book and actually being a book that reads to you, right? right? right. And, like, has substance and depth and intentionality to it. It's not like, okay, ask me anything. It's no, I'm actually going to take the effort to articulate my words and come to you with this problem that I'm facing. And I'm seeking your help because I value your assistance and knowledge and expertise in this area. Yes, yes. I mean, for myself, I, I feel like I would consider myself a super vulnerable person, but that's only when people are asking me shit. Yes, yes. Very rarely do I go to someone and just like, oh, listen, I'm having this problem. Or like, I'm very happy about something. Like, I, you know, yeah. I I just don't offer information because I feel like it would burden people. But at the same time, that's how relationships are built. Yes. You know? Yes. But it takes time. It does. It does take time. To be genuine about it, it should. It should. It should. And I'm realizing, too, it's like we change. Yeah. Everything that we're discovering and, and acknowledging and coming to terms with and sharing and getting through all that, it's all going to change. And we're going to develop new things that we need to fucking get through. And it's like, I realized that too. And I was just talking to my voice teacher yesterday and I was telling him like how I used to be in high school and how I think because of that, you know, I'm sort of holding on to pieces. Of, oh, like that's who I am because that's who I was. And yeah. it's like, no, like you don't have to identify with who that person was anymore because, you know, all this other stuff has happened in your life. You're new, you know? And like, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's the thrill of being scared. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes us alive. (laughs) You know? That is it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and that thrill comes with a shitload of fear. Yeah. But like, I also 
over that fear, embracing that thrill, and actually getting to where you want to go. Wow. Right? That's that's what it's all about. Dude. I, I remember in grad school, you know, I had one one friend that was very into affirmations. And, you know, every night at nine, there would be an alarm on the phone that went off, and somehow I was always around. <laughs> And you know, we just go around the around the circle. Wow. You know, and it's like you know that was obviously very ritualistic, but there are different ways of doing that, right? Totally. Like I can just pause at the end of the night and be like, "Oh, what am I thankful for?" Totally. Or like, "What you know, X, Y, or Z, whatever gets, whatever gives you that sort of peace of mind." I don't know. It's it is those little things. It really don't is. take long and trust in the process. That's it. And you might fail. But that's yeah. okay. If you if you get anything out of it, that was a success. And that's another just box that we put around failure, which is yeah. like it is the devil, you know? Like right, right, right. And it's or like because I didn't reach the even if it's a portion of the thing that I wanted, it is a failure. Right. No. First of all, you most likely achieve something and you you know gain some insight from it. Like yeah. that's a success. You got to think about the positive. I guess like at the end of the day. I'm feeling myself going back to that theme of like, let's concentrate on what is working or what we could be doing better, but in a positive light. Yeah. Not necessarily what we're doing wrong or not doing. The idea of that extra effort, and you want to believe in your heart of hearts that like your support structure is enough. Right. right? And like, I think it's not necessarily about the vulnerability for me, but it's that acceptance that what I have created around me is insufficient to what I need, Mm. right? And that realization, I think, takes a bit of time. And then it's the actual logistics of finding someone that works for you. And it, it is honestly like a bit of regret or like, I don't know, feeling inadequate because I like don't see a therapist, right? right? And that is sort of like very... (laughs) you know very strange in terms of the traditional sense but like that's where i feel like people are going like we all need to have that outlet that like honestly is like pay to listen to right it's like is there unconditionally yeah to listen and provide support and direction yeah and that's probably a mixture of your friends and family but again they probably don't tick all the boxes. Totally, you know? totally. I think the idea of therapy from like sort of my mindset is like it works best when you don't try. Hmm. Or like there needs to be intentionality into it, but like the idea of like, oh, let's dig today. Like, no, if, if I am willing to dig by myself and process and unload naturally is far greater than like the pressure to make that session count yeah right so i think there's that sort of balance of like you know you can push yourself hard but like do it for the right reason don't do it so they give you a gold star at the end of it said like wow you really were vulnerable today like that's not what it's for totally i think it's getting this deep in sort of pondering and even if when we listen to this afterwards half of it doesn't make sense right that is the point of right it, right it's not to make sense it's not to prove a point it's it's that process of unpacking and processing that's what a conversation is i think back to when we would just sit out 
for two hours a week and just chat. And the idea was you don't come with agenda items. Yeah. You see where it takes you. And like that is something that I will hold near and dear to my heart for the rest of my days because that taught me how to have a conversation. Yes. It wasn't necessarily looking for validation or looking for, you know, being the the person to make the point as it is in class. It was just, okay, I'm here to listen to you. What's going on? I surely hope you'll reciprocate and be here and listen to me and what's going on with me. Yeah. And that ecosystem was super, super great. And then you left. But the, <laughs> the point is, like, it was very valuable to have it be a, a, a stepping point. I absolutely right? agree, yeah. It, yeah, that time in my life, yeah, it lives with me every single day, you know. Yeah. And I'm just, like, I'm so grateful for you, man. Yeah, I am too. Grateful for you, that is. Yeah, yeah, grateful for... Me for being grateful for you, yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for existing so that you could have me in your life. <laughs> um, truly, man, I love you, man. I love you too. All right, I'll talk to we'll you talk soon. soon. Yeah. All right, bye. And here we are. Thanks so much for listening. That really brought me back to freshman year of college. You know, we had this small group of like five or six friends, and we'd get cigars and a medium-sized french fries from McDonald's. Yes, we had Mickey D's on campus. And we'd sit in this quiet outdoor atrium thing and literally just talk for hours. And we did that a few times a week, and that's how we built our friendship. And even though we were only together for four months before I transferred schools, we built something real because, yeah, ten years later, we're better friends than ever. I was reflecting on this episode and something that stood out to me was this idea of being content. I think for the longest time, I was afraid of that word. But this idea of being content while still pursuing what brings you joy, what you're passionate about, how you can make a positive impact on the community you live in, You can still be content in your life. I think, actually, that's my goal. To be satisfied with where I am, knowing I will always reach for more. I will always be the person that wants to improve and be better, build new relationships, learn new things, challenge myself. For a while, I thought you could only have either or. But being content is not the same thing as being complacent. As Cody said, if I am where I want to be and where I am brings me joy, and where you are could be literally the location, it could be your job, it could be a relationship, any circumstance or situation you're in, if you are content, then why force change? As much as I want to chase the newness, the growth potential of what life has to offer, I also want to find peace in precisely where I am. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, write comments and reviews, and share with friends and family. The best place to reach me is on Instagram, at Sharon Feelings. Message me anytime. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Sharon.